Wasso. Hey. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the 13th Floor. I am Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. Yeah. Hi, May. What you up to? Uh, this and that. <laughs> this oh, wow. And Cuddling that. spiders. That's what that means. No, James had, I'm not sure if you saw this, but he texted us right before we started recording, and he said that his internet went out. Oh, really? And so we weren't sure if we were going to record today, but by the grace of God, here we are. What what was it like being in the Stone Age again? (laughs) I was only in the Stone Age for about 10 minutes, but boy, was it a long 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I asked him if his spider pumpkin had gotten a hold of the router, and he said no. So... We don't know what led to the outage. All we know is that we're hey, thankful. He it's just fun. his his spy, uh, pumpkin just wanted to get on the web. You know what I'm saying? Oh, ah. that, was, that was the cheesiest joke I've ever heard, boy. Um. Anyways, Alex and I are doing great. We were both drinking some green tea. I feel cleansed. Yeah, this is like my fourth cup of tea today. I is it really? Lot. Yeah, because I had two. The coffee shop I went to today for my meetings, and then I got the I got this one. Oh, so I can't count, but that means three. Is what that means. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it. James, have you had any tea today? I have had a lot of tea today. Wow! Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm sitting amongst teasters. Um, <laughs> um, James, now when you drink a lot of tea, do you drink a lot of caffeinated tea? Like, what, what's 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 your regimen look like? Well, the best thing about loose leaf tea is you re-steep it. So basically, like especially with puer, you uh, you you boil your water, you pour it over the tea, steep it for three minutes, you pour it in your cup, you drink it, and then you boil another cup and and you pour it over it, and you don't add any more tea to it. And what's neat is the flavor changes, and you only really what'll happen if you steep it two more times, you've effectively got three cups of tea out of it, but only one cup was caffeinated. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Really? Yep. Caffeine is very water soluble. So that first steeping, that's where you're going to get like 99.9% of the caffeine. I had no idea, James. You just blew Alex's mind. He's looking at me like shocked. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Oolongs and players are especially good for multiple steepings because they change in interesting ways. James, you just said (laughs) oolong... And players, and I did not realize I should I should have realized with Oolong that those two characters in Dragon Ball are the yep, names of tea. That's exactly right. Yeah, and they're they and, they're, like, and they're friends, and they have like the same abilities. I'm like you that's guys cool. are dorks. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, and welcome everybody to the number one Dragon Ball podcast. Yeah, Dragon Ball Tea. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Oh my! You guys are just like knocking it out of the park with these jokes today. Hey, it's because we're caffeinated. I, I'm the Chiaotzu to to James's TN, which means I'm a there little clown looking boy. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, I, you know what? I think it's time for some party hellos. Are you guys ready to say hello to our listeners all around the globe? Yeah, I'm ready. Sounds good. Okay, you guys. Today we are going to say hello to everybody in. Wait a minute. I oh, don't even have You forgot. <laughs> you forgot. You got so amped up that she looked over at her computer's clothes. <laughs> Oops. Oh my gosh. She was even getting ready to do these hand motions like these big <laughs> no, like, like, like big reveal, like a like a like a rainbow from the top to the mm-hmm. bottom. She just like 
I fumbled it. Listen, I'm not caffeinated, so here we are. Mm. Okay. It was like James's internet connectivity. I just went out for a minute. You just went out for a second. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, you guys. Today, we are going to say hello to everybody in France. 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 Parlez-vous français? And in Australia, we're going to say hello to everybody in Queensland. Queensland? Queensland. And then here in the United States, I'm going to say hello to two, okay? I'm going to say hello to everybody who's listening in Colorado. Oh, what's up, Colorado? Yeah. We don't give them shout-outs very often. Okay. Well, one of our wonderful patrons, Jordan, is from Colorado. So, hey, oh, Jordan. What's up, Jordan? Yes. And then, mm-hmm. you know what else I'm also going to do? And this isn't just for the United States. This is for everywhere. What's... Unknown. Okay. That oh, means wow. that you are listening via VPN and we have no idea where you are. And so you don't get the shout out you deserve. So unknown, hello. Yeah. And party <laughs> hi. What's amazing is that's a pretty hey, wait, wait, hang on. That's a pretty big number. Uh for people like our unknown percentage oh, our unknown percentage is pretty high. It's almost twenty five percent, which feels very appropriate for this podcast. <laughs> um <laughs> the CIA listeners. Wait a minute. Go to the world. And wow, we're, we're killing it. I, I know we're not shouting up Maryland, so don't take the strong Maryland, but we're doing really well over in Maryland. Yeah. Yeah, but no, this isn't your shout out. You get it some other time. No, Maryland. Maryland, we love you too. We love, no matter where you're listening around the globe, we love you and we thank you for tuning in and for supporting us because it's fun. It's fun. Podcast to do. But um, James, we also have a Patreon too, right? We sure do. What are we talking about on Patreon tomorrow? We're going to be talking about occult news. Occult news. Ja- I have no idea what James has lined up because we're going to record it directly after we record this. But James has some topics that are just like weird and wacky and a bit like, you know, ooh. So mm-hmm. I'm intrigued and nervous. Mm-hmm. Is James going to scare me? Probably. Maybe. Oh, gosh. Impending World War Three. Okay. All right. Listen, <laughs> listen. I think. Don't worry. It's mostly going to be fought between dolphins and aliens. So <laughs> do not worry. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about something else. Like this dog that's like going for a light jog in the living room right now. Yeah. She's just, she's, uh, I mean, there's some scheming going on. This is the thing, James. We think that Louise is regressing. Okay. We think that she can tell that there's another baby on the way, and so she has been acting out. She has been acting out. She's been stealing things like she used to do when she was a puppy, but she's not a puppy. She's anymore. like, this is this was not part of the deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, I put up with one. Yeah, I'm not doing two. Yeah, I got used to the first one. We're on good terms mm. now. Now you want me to do it again? Screw you. Yeah, that's what she says to it me. Just took four years. But yeah. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Ready to start it all over again. What about... Our icebreaker. Our icebreaker. Yeah. Right. Jaime, what's our icebreaker today? Well, since we are talking about spies... Spies. I thought it would be kind of fun to ask, what is your favorite iteration of James Bond? Oh, CC. You got an easy I answer because I think you've only ever seen one. I've only well, yeah, that's true. Um, Daniel Craig, <laughs> Craig, <laughs> Craig, 
because he's handsome and he's also got all the gadgets. Yeah, they all do. Also, (laughs) he's in several movies. (laughs) Oh my god! Wow, Wow. you sure do. You seem very knowledgeable about your Double O Seven. That is the extent of Double O Seven that I know. I apologize that I don't know more, but you know what? I can say, I can say that. I like it when he jumps out of the planes. There there we go. That's it. All right, Alex, <laughs> who do you like? So, for me, I mean, there's better James Bonds because they've been in more, more I almost said more better. Uh, they've been in more quality films. I'm sorry if you hear crinkling. Louise is like, by the microphone, she brought out four toys just now. It's like, it's like, I mean, it's like we got a little teenager over here. Louise, actively sabotaging. Stop. Stop. The audio. <laughs> she's, she's got a crinkly sloth, and so you might hear a little squeak, squeak. Um. Okay. So, but I, I used to be a huge James Bond fan, and I still like James Bond. But I just haven't watched the movies in a long time, so I, you know, I was watching Roger Moore. But I, the one that has a special place in my heart is probably even more so because of the video game, even though the movie's great. Piercy. Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. I think he's actually a really great James Bond. Now, was he given a lot of movies to work with in terms of quality? No, not really. But I think he's a very excellent James Bond. I uh, I, I figured that was the one you were going to go with, Alex, and I'm in complete agreement. Like, Pierce Brosnan was my James Bond, the architect himself. And also, the... I would actually disagree on on the films. What I like most about Pierce's version of James Bond isn't just the character itself, but like the the Brosnan Bond films, they walked that line between like silly and serious. They were more campy for sure. Yeah. Whereas all the other Bond films tend to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I enjoy most about it is like there's, there's scenes where you're like, oh, Oh, this is the stakes are high, but then there's other scenes where you're like, "Oh, that's ridiculous," and that's wonderful to me to have that little back and forth. Yeah, I I agree with you. I I did really like Daniel Craig's James Bond. I really I will be honest. Yeah, I really I mean, liked he's, it. He's a I think the best. movies were mostly a pretty consistent quality, um, yeah. except for. Yeah, I think Skyfall was a weak. No, yeah, I think Skyfall was a weak point. No, Spectre. Spectre was the weak point. Was yeah, the new one? Skyfall was awesome. Like, sure the new one, No Time to Die. Actually, that was pretty good. I yeah. heard that the, the problem with Spectre was they bad. took this campiest thing from the earlier Bonds and they tried to make it serious, and it just yeah. you know, it's like having a gritty reboot of I don't know Care Bears, who right? like you know Care Bear. Stare, and then they like murder somebody with brass <laughs> knuckles or something. Uh, James, I want to know what is it like having the same name as James Bond? Oh. Like, do you feel a connection to him through your it name? Was in grade school there was a there was a heyday period where I was regularly referred to as as James Bond. Oh, uh, wow. So I guess James. James, James, if you were in a James Bond movie, do you think that you would be James Bond or would you be a villain? I'd probably be a villain. Oh my gosh, James. I mean, it's just, right. if you think about it, all the signs are there. It's, <laughs> it's not really I love it. Uh, I, I will say, Sean Connery is pretty good as a James Bond. Oh, yeah. Too. Yeah, I mean, the, really, like, my top three would go in that order. It would be Pierce, Sean, and then uh, Craig. 
Oh my god. Okay. You guys have a lot to talk about when it comes to James Bond. Yeah, this is turning into a movie podcast. First, uh, Dragon Ball, and now, now 007. Listen, I think it's time to hop into our topic. And as Sounds you mentioned good. a moment ago, James, we're talking about spies. Oh, yeah. Speaking of hopping in, my person used a oh. parachute. Oh, <laughs> I just hijacked it. Alex just hijacked it. He <laughs> wants to go first. It has been a while since you've gone first. I, I haven't think. even pushed for it in a very long time. I know. <laughs> so let's, let's let's give me my due, my right. roses, if you, you will. You, the, the mic is yours. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to give a shout out to, for the first and only time, probably, NY Times. New York <gasps> I Times. used NY Times. Did you really? Yeah. They had a pretty good obituary about this lady uh, when she did die. <laughs> when she died at 98. And I'm going to talk about Nancy Wake. Who is Nancy Wake? Yeah. It sounds so, like a video game. Yeah, it does sound like a video game. Um, So I think, well, I, I'll be interested to see where what time period you all picked people from, but we know a lot of spies were around during World War II. Um, I even covered one from a recent episode. I think it was maybe Missing Persons or something like that. I covered a guy that helped a lot of people escape yeah. um, concentration camps in Nazi Germany. But uh, I can't remember what the name of the topic was, but I just remember what they did, right? And that's what matters. Remember the actions okay. and how I felt. But this time around, I decided to pick another person for World War II. And okay. yeah, they are just, um, you know, they're, they're, there's plenty to pick from because there's astronomical spies between now and way after nuclear bombs are created. It, they're just everywhere. You turn around, your neighbor's a spy. Yeah. Your dog's a spy. True. Everyone. Cats are spies. <laughs> That's right. Cats are definitely spies. Um. <laughs> So, and nobody could keep their secrets in the house without, you know, some rat letting everything slip through the cracks, right? Um, Well, Nancy Wake was no exception, except for she wasn't a rat. Rather, she was called the White Mouse. The White Mouse? Yeah, so the German military actually gave her this nickname. Uh, It was La Soros Blanche, which, uh, because she always eluded capture. So every time they thought they had her, she got away. Ooh. Yeah. So when the war began, Nancy Waite described herself as a very different person. She says she was a fun-loving girl who became a, a, a pretty hardened resistance fighter over a pretty short period of time. Hmm. Uh, she, she was a freelance journalist, and she was over in uh, Vienna. And this is kind of what started her path down you know, becoming a spy. So she saw some Nazi gangs in in the 1930s uh, go around and they were beating up Jewish women, children, men in the street. Not cool. Not cool. So apparently after she did this, like she was just like, she immediately became, uh, as she said, my hatred of the Nazis was very, very deep. And this was before the, this was before everything happened, so she was she was already mad at him before everything went down. She was a hipster. She was uh, she she hated Nazis before it was cool. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Before it was even cool, and apparently she said um, that after that moment, she said that if she was ever given an opportunity to stop the Nazis, she said she would do it. Now she was part of this pretty wealthy family in France, which gave her a really nice bit of latitude when it came to 
leaving the country and maybe smuggling people in or out or having certain pathways opened up to other people. Uh, She said it was even easier for herself to move about the country because she said, from her experience, it was easier for women to travel the country because, um, quote, a woman could get out of a lot of trouble that a man could not. Okay. So she found that it was a lot, I guess, she, she was... Uh, that German authorities were a lot more lenient towards women Mm -hmm. than they were men. Now, eventually, Germany did learn of some of the things that she was doing, you know, getting these people out and all this, and leaking information. Um, And so in 1943, she fled the country and went to France. And her husband stayed behind, and I don't know why he did, but he was arrested and executed by the Nazis. Oh, well, that's going to make her hate him even more. Yeah, right? Or I don't know why she left him behind, so maybe she was like, she's like oh. <laughs> it's they like a movie. Solid. This time it's personal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the chopper explodes and she's like diving out. <laughs> so, so she fled to England and she was immediately accepted into this cool training program for the British Special Operators Executive, so the SOE, um, mm. which was this intelligence group that worked with the French resistance, as you would expect. So in 1944, she and 39 women and 430 men all parachuted into France, which is why I was able to use this. uh, Able to go first? Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) So they all parachuted into France to help for preparations for D-Day. So what she did is she she collected um, weapon drops that were coming in via parachute. So she was collecting all the weapons, all this communication equipment, ammunition, everything. And she was hiding it all around this town so that when the soldiers came in, they would have all these places to go and grab weapons when they showed up. Mm. So, uh, after, after D day. And, uh, so, and this was also going to help them stop some other advancing armies. And they also set up like these wireless communications so that they could have a direct path and communication channel with England, which was really a pain in the German side. And she said that she actually was during this time, never afraid and because she was too busy to be afraid. Too busy to Yeah, so she's, you know, she's running behind German lines, planting weapons all over the place, so that all these soldiers can just, like, there's a stash over in that building, and they go in, they get chased in by some Nazis, and they pop out, and they got all kinds of weapons. Oh, my god! And they're like, oh, my gosh. That old <laughs> lady had 30 machine guns. Um, <laughs> so uh, she is actually credited uh, through all of her efforts for saving the lives of hundreds of Allied soldiers and down airmen by escorting them through, um, you know, the occupy, occupied France to safety in uh, Spain because she had a great uh, knowledge of the area. She was from France, so she knew all the pathways to take. So she was really responsible for uh, escorting everybody out of the country once they had got there. Hmm. Uh, and one of her bigger claims to fame, however was the use of this. So she encountered a German soldier, and she gives him a judo chop. Ha! Whoa. Kills him. (laughs) So apparently, she just ran up on this Nazi, gave him a good old chop, and killed him. Now, different accounts say different things from what I hear, but 
she either strangled this guy because she says she killed him with her bare hands. She remembers killing this man with her bare hands. Um, now, uh, some other websites said that she gave a judo chop. So I'm wondering if like a different interview, she kind of elaborated on how she killed him. Uh, but she also said like she was no stranger. Like This lady was cutthroat. She even ordered the execution of another woman that she believed to be a German spy. She thought she was a German spy, so she's like, yo, kill that girl. Did- Go kill her. Yeah, they killed her. <laughs> was she a German spy? I don't know. She just believed she was. All right, well. <laughs> that was him. I would imagine she saw some evidence that made her think that way. Now, whether I don't know why it- spies are so cloak and dagger. Yeah, I know, right? So she's like, yeah, I, I killed that girl. Um, <laughs> she-, she actually said, she said this about it. <laughs> She was talking about it. She said, I was not a very nice person. <laughs> and it didn't put me off my breakfast. Oh, so- my God. <laughs> Good Lord. This lady was so cold-blooded. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, like, she really missed being in the war and doing all this stuff. Like, she said, like, she was bored pretty much for the rest of her life afterwards. Because all she really wanted to do was get back in the action. Because I would imagine that's probably a pretty thrilling and satisfying experience is to save all these people. Something you know, you're running around, you're you're getting communications set up, and that way lines you're getting all this data out to you know to save all these to save everyone is pretty awesome. Now the cool thing is Nancy got so many medals that she actually <laughs> sold them off and was able to live out the rest of her life comfortably. <laughs> Man, like Weird, she didn't, man. she didn't care at all. All she wanted to do was get back in the action. But she got these medals, and apparently, you know, she lived to be ninety eight, and was just living off the money of those medals that she sold. That's a long life. Yeah, yeah. She's a she's a grizzled, grizzled veteran of the war. She just don't give an f, did she? No, she didn't. All right. I hope she got right about that execution of the Germans. Well, you know, that's the thing is like we hear that story. There are so many other things that we probably don't know. Oh, yeah. She probably killed a whole bunch of people. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, that's Nancy Wake. That's Nancy Wake. I mean, she judo chops you in the throat and kills you in the front, or she stabs you in the back and gets a shot. I <laughs> have no words. I just can't imagine. She did. Because it didn't even put her off her breakfast. It didn't put her off her <laughs> breakfast. James, who are you talking about today? Uh, this is why I was shocked. I thought for sure Alex would have picked Ian Fleming. I almost did. Yeah, Ian Fleming, for those of you who don't know, is the creator of James Bond. But what a lot of people don't know is that Ian Fleming was, in fact, a spy. Um, <laughs> and this is where it gets insane. In World War II, Ian Fleming did spy work for the British government. And while he was there, he met another spy for the British government. And they worked together at a remarkable place that later became, uh, because at the time it was actually purely fictional, um, 221 Baker Street. So that man was Christopher Lee. So James Bond and Dracula were spies at Sherlock Holmes's house. That's that really amazing. happened. 
That's yeah, it's, it's it's insanity. It's bananas. Christopher um, Lee? Christopher Flipping Lee. He was an intelligence officer for uh, the number 260 Squadron RAF. He was a liaison officer for the Special Operations Executive. He was basically a, a spy slash Nazi hunter. Um, wow. And Christopher Lee's a flipping Renaissance man. He's and awesome. There's there's a reason why I mentioned that he's a Renaissance man, though. Uh, he he could sing opera. He spoke multiple languages. He just always knew what to say. Wasn't he in a metal band situation. too? He was in a metal band. <laughs> I mean, an amazing guy. Does that sound like a fictional character that you might know? Because James Bond was largely inspired by Ian Fleming's time spent with Christopher Lee. So Christopher Lee's not just Dracula. He was a huge part of the inspiration for James Bond. I mean, really, in many respects, James Bond is just three people. He's Ian Fleming's own uh, ego, and I don't mean ego in a perjurative sense. I just mean the part of your mind that wants to protect uh, certain components of itself. Um, a fella he met at a skiing area <laughs> named Conrad O'Brien uh, French, and... Flipping Christopher Lee. Like, that's that's who James Bond is. He's a pastiche of those three men. Hmm. So I just think that's amazing that, one, Ian Fleming was a spy in World War II with Christopher Lee, and then it led to the guy that we were all having our little uh, icebreaker about. <laughs> now, there's not a whole lot published that we're fully aware of regarding um, Christopher Lee and Ian Fleming, like the stuff that they that they did. But uh, I will read to you an Ian Fleming document that has been deferred and uh, declassified by the FBI. And just a little backstory on this. Ian Fleming had a little bit of a, an issue with the FBI and the CIA. He was not a fan. And it actually led to such an intense rivalry, which we also see in kind of James Bond style movies, the Americans and the British uh, kind of rivalry that in, in, some instances, and we have no actual proof because, again, we're dealing with spy stuff, but a lot of people think that that rivalry continues today and that it was largely instigated by Ian Fleming. So, yeah. So here we go. <clears throat> this is teletype. <laughs> Two, SACS Los Angeles from Miami. From director of the FBI, Harry Saltzman. Captioned individual today contacted a representative of the Department of Defense in Washington requesting the use of military aircraft in connection with a movie based on the pocketbook entitled, quote, Goldfinger, unquote, by Ian Fleming. <laughs> Stated FBI would be depicted in movie in favorable manner. Hmm. Files contain no derogatory information concerning Saltzman. Fleming is writer of paperback novels concerning spy stories in which fictional character James Bond is the star. I love how this is like just pretty much explaining what James Bond is. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to just jump forward because this is a long flipping document. Um, <laughs> you should bring forcefully to his attention, the provisions of public law 670, which prohibits the use of the word quote, federal bureau of investigation unquote, or its initials in any manner without my written permission. If a copy of this law is available in your office, it should be furnished to Saltzman. By the way, Harry Saltzman is the guy who was working on the film. I, I, I did say that right, right? Eh, whatever. People <laughs> <understand>. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it goes on and on. And, and basically what they're doing is... <laughs> 
they're actively ensuring that the movie adaptation Goldeneye doesn't like mess with the national morale in relation to the FBI. That's just amazing. That's a long (laughs) document. Yes, it. Oh, that that was the Cliff's notes. It's a twenty-five page document. I'm not kidding. Good lord. So that's bananas. And I just wanted to kind of gloss over, assuming nobody's covering him. Uh, another, I mean, because again, I just wanted to talk about spies that we know, but we didn't know they were spies. And the other one that I, I have to mention would be Harry Houdini. Houdini. Always, yes, Houdini Ooh. was a spy in World War One. And the reason I wanted to mention him was, one, it's kind of, if you think about it, it's the most sensible thing ever. Who would make a better spy than a magician? True. And an escape artist. I mean, it's kind of like he was born to be that. So he was absolutely a a spy in World War I for America. And what's crazy about it is not just that he was really good at it, but people wonder about his death in in response to so he was very he was a very good spy world war one um some people actually think he played an, a pivotal role in the downfall of the kaiser's empire pivotal so the reason i mention this is because i i think we may have talked about this in an episode once that houdini died from presumably being punched in the gut yeah um yeah here's the thing traumatic appendicitis is super rare doesn't mean it didn't happen, but super rare. So, little backstory. Houdini's a spy. He goes from being a spy to being a magician again. He does all sorts of cool stuff. He debunks seances and mediums. Um, he has a little bit of a feud with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which there's another fun link, you know, Sherlock Holmes, 221 Baker Street, which, again, did not exist when it was written. That was why he did it. But then it be- anyway, Um so here's the thing. He got he he had people punch him in the gut really, really hard to showcase, you know, that he was this cool dude who was impervious to pain and all that. Yeah. Um and then a college student punches him in the gut and he doesn't double over or act like he's a big issue. But about a day or two later, he starts having stomach cramps and he goes to the doctor and they're like, Yeah, something's up. So Apparently, his appendix had ruptured, and he had sepsis, and that's ultimately what killed him. The problem is, this was, you know, early 20th century. This was like 1924, so people weren't 100% convinced nowadays. And you got to remember, spy-type stuff, there was all sorts of interesting little secret weapons. I mean, uh, we've talked a little bit about CIA's, like, shellfish guns that cause heart attacks and are indistinguishable from just regular cardiac arrest and things. Mm. So some people have argued that maybe the college student who punched him didn't just punch him. Maybe Mm. he also infected him with some sort of agent that ultimately caused sepsis. And I would like to mention that this is a very rare thing. His uh, wife actually got like a double, um, there's a word for it. Like basically she got paid twice in terms of insurance from his death because it didn't really add up. Hmm. So yeah, we don't we don't know for sure what ultimately killed him, but the reason I wanted to kind of gloss over him a little bit is one, it's kind of tough to talk about the careers of spies because a lot of things are classified and we don't really have all the intel. But I have wondered 
as World War II was kind of in the backdrop when he was killed, if maybe it wasn't a case of certain folks saying, you know, hey, you know, he really did Germany in earlier. Maybe we should send somebody to neutralize him so he doesn't do anything again. Interesting. It's yeah. a theory. That's that's not that's, that's a theory, but it's not my theory. It's a theory by people who've put in a lot of thought into it, and there may be some credence to it. Do you think it's likely? I think it's more likely than traumatic appendicitis. Hmm. Yeah. Well. My two cents. Harry Houdini. James, thank you for <laughs> glossing over Harry Houdini. <laughs> um, is it? Is it my turn? It is. is your I think turn. I'm the last one to go. And how are you so. not ready? Three of us. That's my question. I was petting Louise. <laughs> so my laptop wasn't on. But it's on now, and that's all that matters. Because today I'm sharing the story of a man. Okay. Who wasn't just an agent, he was a double agent. A double oh. agent? Yeah. Wow. That's like two agents in one. He was Louise. Yeah, like a double stuffed Oreo. He was a traitor to the United States of America. Why are we talking about him? Because his story is just like, oh, hmm. Mm. It Did he like me. his eggs with uh, Bernays sauce or whatever? What? Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> it's a silly, it stupid joke. All right. Well, no, no, I I am talking about a man named Aldrich Ames. Uh, okay. God, I was, it, was a, it was an eggs Benedict reference, Benedict Arnold. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I totally got that. Holland days, <laughs> not fairness. <laughs> uh, no, well, you guys, <laughs> I have trouble. I'm not sure if it's Aldrich or Aldrich, but I'm going to probably call him Aldrich. His full name is Aldrich Hazin. That's but a cool his, name. His nickname was Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys? And this is something that I ended up distracting Alex yesterday when he was trying to watch a movie. He was getting very frustrated with me because I turned on a Saturday Night Live skit uh, where Amy Poehler plays a character named Caitlin, and she's at the mall with her stepdad Rick, and all she she keeps yelling Rick. So it's like the entire time I was doing my research for this podcast, every time I came across his name, I just like yelled it in my head. <laughs> but you guys, let's talk about. Let's talk about this guy. I got most of my information today from FBI.gov, the New York Times, <laughs> which he actually gave an interview to about why he did it. So that was very interesting. Cool. Plus, sprinkles from Wikipedia. So hmm. in order to fully understand how Mr. Ames became a double agent, working for the CIA, but then also the KGB, that's right. He was he was selling top secret information to the Soviets, Alex. During the Cold War, he was he worked for the CIA, just like his daddy, Dearest. Okay. His dad oh. was a dude named Carlton Cecil Ames, and he began working for the CIA in 1952, but he was not particularly good at his job. Do you guys want to know why? Because he was a communist. No, because he was an alcoholic. Oh, that'll limit your drink. abilities. Yeah, and Aldrich, he followed in his father's footsteps working for the CIA when he was in high school as a low-ranking records analyst, which I just stopped to think about that. I'm like, can you imagine working for the CIA when you're in high school and then you go into yeah, school that's nuts. at the very beginning of school year and your teacher's like, Aldrich, what did you do this summer? And he's like, that's classified top secret information. <laughs> if I told you, I'd have to kill you. Exactly. Oh. So anyways, Aldrich Amazing. Ames. Um, this is the thing, you guys. 
he had other aspirations in life. He wanted to be an actor. An actor? A dramatic yeah. actor, yes. He supposedly flunked out of college because of his passion for drama. He just couldn't get <laughs> grades. So then, yeah, he went back to work for the CIA after he failed out of college. Not as an analyst, though. He went back as a laborer painter. But then he went back to school and he actually ended up like doing fairly well at school. And he worked his way back into the CIA working as an analyst. Um, So, yeah, he's very interesting to start his career, right? Yeah. Well, I don't want to spy. I want to act. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. And you know, I feel like a lot of people that I've talked about who've kind of like been a little off their rocker wanted to be actors at one point or another. Is that just is that just me? You just insulted me. Didn't you want to be an actor at one point? I am an actor. <laughs> yeah, you've been you've been you've been in MacGyver. <laughs> I have been in MacGyver. I've also played the best dang dead female scientist is eaten by a demogorgon and stranger things that's right season two you guys keep an eye out for me i can't i think i'm in episode eight anyways <laughs> do you guys want to know what else he did when he was working with cia uh, uh improv troop no that'd be interesting <laughs> if they had that no that'd be amazing yeah <laughs> he met his future first wife a woman named nancy 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 Na- wake no not nancy wake different nancy <laughs> They That'd got married. Nuts. Yeah, right? Well, they got married. It was wedded bliss at first. But then she had to quit her job at the CIA because they have a rule about like not working with your spouse. Like You can't live in the same house as your spouse <laughs> if you work for the CIA. Cool. So Aldrich, <laughs> he stayed at work and was eventually put on assignment in Turkey where he was given the task of recruiting Soviet intelligence officers to kind of like spy for the U.S. And he did it, not exceptionally well, but good enough to stay in the job because you guys, Rick had his demons, okay? Just like his daddy, he also liked to partake in the adult beverages, which (laughs) probably did not do well for his marriage. But not surprisingly, his superiors took notice of it, but still... He was able to handle some parts of his job, like the paperwork and all the administrative stuff. Like, Man, the, old, the good old days where you could handle some parts of your job. Yeah, he yeah. could do some it's of It's probably why Russia approached him. They're like, this fellow loves his vodka. Yeah. He, well, he did say that in his meetings with the, the KGB, whenever he met with them, they would have a lot of vodka. Yeah. So I'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah. he was eventually... Was <laughs> No, no, James, you're not kidding. He was eventually sent to work in Mexico City in 1981. And while there, you guys, his demons came back out. He had a couple of affairs. Oh. Yeah, including one with a woman named Maria del Rosario Dupuy. She sounds beautiful. It's his second <laughs> wife, okay? And they got married in 1985, two years after Ames was assigned to work in a department at the CIA that handled Soviet counterintelligence. And that's where he got all the juicy juice that he ended up selling to the KGB. All the details that are just like, ooh. And according to Ames, it was actually his divorce from Nancy that first inspired him becoming a double agent because he owed her a lot of money in the divorce settlement. I think it was like $46,000 was what he owed her, and he only made fifty six k a year, which was probably a lot in 1983 if you stop to think about it. Yeah. But he owed her almost as much in the divorce settlement. So he got info that he said he thought would be like harmless to sell to the KGB, but would 
basically put him in the, their eyes as a true, legit CIA intelligence officer. Like, hey, I've got legit info that I'm giving you. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, okay, I've got this pit. I've got this bit of information. I'm, I'll sell it to you for 50K. And they, they, t- they gave him the money. And he was just like, whoa, money. And yeah, he, after that, he, I think he just kind of got a taste for it and was like, oh, I can get a lot of money doing this. And his, his new wife, Rosario, she's a bit high maintenance. She liked to buy things. She had a, a bit of a shopping habit. And she also liked to keep in touch with her family. They were all in Colombia. And calling Colombia from, like, you know, Washington, D.C. in the 1980s was not a cheap thing to do. So his debt kept piling up. And so he just decided to keep on making that money from the KGB by selling them info. Why not? Yeah. What could go wrong? Well, if you, if you think about it, though, he was in the perfect place for this because he had all the sensitive info. He also worked with Soviet intelligence agents, like, trying to recruit them. So he knew who to talk to. He could pass info along without it being, like, 100% suspicious. Because, like, you're supposed to be, you know, kind of talking to them anyways. But he did a lot of his his meetings while he was traveling. He also did a lot of dead drops. Do you guys know what a dead drop is? Yeah, he drops something yeah. off, someone comes and picks it up. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Apparently, what he used to do was, if he wanted to talk to the KGB, there was this one mailbox a usps mailbox i think it was probably in washington i can't remember exactly where but he would go and he would put a little chalk mark above the the u.s postal service logo and if you put a chalk mark then that means i've got info for you and so yeah that's one of the ways that he kind of communicated with them but i think that mailbox is in like the some museum now really yeah i think so but anyways um, some of the info that Ames gave the KGB was the names of Soviet agents that were actually working for the USS spies. Ooh. So that's like that's not stuff that you should probably yeah, give so to the people KGB. Killed, so he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, so next thing you know, not surprisingly, these agents just start either becoming executed or disappearing entirely. And then the CIA is like, okay, there's something weird going on. We might have a mole. And at first, they didn't mm-hmm. really want to believe it. At first, they're like, maybe we're bugged. Maybe there's something else going on. Like, surely there's not a mole. But then as it just kept getting worse and worse and all of their kind of secret spies started disappearing, they're like, no, we've got to figure out what's going on here. And why Why would you suspect Ames, this lackluster employee who can't even do his job right? You know, he's an alcoholic. Why would you suspect him, right? Mm-hmm. But... They did start to suspect him, obviously, when his bank account started to grow tremendously in a very <laughs> short amount of time. <laughs> yeah, and during his time as a double agent, he got about $4.6 million from the KGB. Oh, this is in the 1980s. Nice. Yeah, He tried oh, to explain it away by saying, oh, my new wife's family is very wealthy, okay? And he you would actually... the CIA. They're going to be able to look into this. Uh, well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he would wire them money. So that they could like keep up appearances in Columbia and like look like yeah like look like they're wealthy. But the thing is, like he met Rosario because she was a CIA informant. So there are other people within the CIA who knew her and are like, her family's not wealthy. (laughs) So (laughs) that was a little bit weird. But just some of the things that were like red flags that some of his coworkers were like, hey, you might want to look into Ames. Uh, He bought a five hundred forty thousand dollar house in cash. (laughs) 
<laughs> he was also, oh my god! He was drug driving, dealers aren't that ridiculous. Well, That's he was driving example. a fifty thousand dollars Jaguar too. Ooh. So As he was, does. yeah, he was doing all of these things. His wife was buying all of this stuff, <laughs> and it's just like, where are you getting all of your money, dude? So yeah, so when somebody was like, you know, they pointed him out. The CIA was like, okay, we need to look into this guy. So they put Ames through some polygraph tests, which he actually passed with flying colors. He said that the KGB helped him out. They told him to, this is their, their advice, just relax. <laughs> and so he did it. Amazing. He relaxed, and he also said that he was extra friendly with the um, with the polygraph person because it's like, you know, if, if you make the polygraph person think that you like them and that you're not afraid of them, you're not nervous about this test, they might kind of read the results a little bit differently. Yeah, so, it's a very, very, very easy to to mess with kind of test. Yeah. I hate that people act like polygraph tests are some sort of end-all, be-all, truth-telling device. He got through it. He got through it. But then finally, in 1994, the CIA, they had collected enough evidence <laughs> suggesting that Rick was a mole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, like, you know, dug through his trash and tailed, like, they, they followed him. And they're like they. I think that they saw him at one point go into a building with, like, a KGB person. They're like, okay, (laughs) this might be him. They had like a task force. It was very interesting. If you look online, there's actually pictures of these. It's like a group of five or six people who were specifically put on the task of figuring out where, where's all this information leaking here within the CIA. So, anyways, uh, they went on to arrest. Rick and his dear sweet wife Rosario, and both were charged with spying, spying, spying for the Soviet Union and Russia. Which Ames, at first, when he was like taken into jail, he just they're taking him to the car. He's like, "You got the wrong man!" Like he's very, very no, no, it wasn't me. But then eventually, he's like, "Okay, yeah, I did it." <laughs> and so wow. after all was said and done, the secrets he had sold to the KGB resulted in the executions of at least five. CIA assets. Ooh. Not cool. He was ultimately sentenced to life in prison, which he's still serving out today. Executed. He- <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of baffled that he's not. It's like two countries would want him dead. Yeah. The two he's worked for. Oh. So how is he alive? He's still alive. He's he's serving out his sentence at the age of 80 at a facility in Terre Haute, Indiana. His wife was given five years in prison. No idea where she is these days. I wonder if maybe they were like a little bit lenient on him because he had a five-year-old when he was caught, um, right. you know, a little five-year-old son. So it's like, I have no idea. But uh, when That's asked funny. why he did it, his response was, quote, money. Money was the, money was the motivation. Wow. Sounds like it. <laughs> Bought yeah. a house with cash. Dang. Golly. Can what you, an idiot. Can you imagine <laughs> spending $540,000 in cash on the house? I hope it was like, in the 80s, mind you. In the 80s. Yeah. And then also, it's like all of these, <laughs> these people that you have information on are going missing. And that was yeah. one thing that he said. He said that he was very nervous, and he told the KGB. And the KGB did things to try to, you know, throw people off his scent. By saying, "Oh, the mole is this other." Yeah, they did. They did things to try and save his back because he was like, "I trust them," but it's like, I don't know. I I had never heard of this guy before, and so his story just kind of interested me, which is why I wanted to share it today. And now your tax dollars keep him alive and well. 
He's... Hey, we got listeners in Indiana. Maybe he's a listener. <laughs> hey, Ames. Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> hey, Ames. <laughs> that would be insane. But anyways, yeah. Um, yeah, you guys, that's the story of Aldrich Ames. Ooh. Probably the luckiest double agent ever. Got all that money and nobody killed him. Well, yeah. I mean, he was like, he's like the perfect government employee. Mediocre and makes a lot of money somehow. It, that no it one just goes to show you what a smile and a can-do attitude can get you. Right? He said that one of his secret weapons was that he had the ability to just immediately forget things. And that really helped him <laughs> with the KGB because they're like, you know, they've got more, all this. More going with a goldfish than a spy. That's what he said. He said that, like, he would go into these meetings and he would give them what he needed. And then as soon as he left, it's all gone. It's out of his brain. And so that kind of protected him for a while, I guess. It's an interesting ability. Yeah. He said that it was very helpful. So I thought that was very interesting. I'm like, man. Got but invisible his, ink in his brain. His drinking probably had a, quite a bit to do with the uh, the forgetfulness. He said it also got him into trouble a couple times. He'd go to a meeting well, and they're like, thought? hey, hey, where's this thing? And he's just like, what? What are you talking about? So... <laughs> I don't know. That's actually a great persona for a double agent, though, if you think of it. Oh, he's too incompetent to be a double agent. Exactly. Right? I think that that's why he got away with it for so long, and they didn't yeah. like they didn't immediately go, oh, Ames. This is like a- Mr. Bean or something. This is like a, a comedy. It's insane. It's very interesting. But you know what? He's also an actor, you guys, so maybe he just acted yeah. as fake it until you make it, you know? Yeah, yeah I heard he just did a, his own performance of Macbeth in the prison. For all the inmates. Oh, my Alex. All right. <laughs> One man show. You guys, that nice. is Aldrich Ames. That is Secret Spies. I I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. It was a, a different one, for sure. Yeah. 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 Go give someone a nice judo chop to their neck. See no, how it goes. don't do it, Alex. All right. You know what I think you need to do, though? You need to drop them the bite. We'll judo chop his face. <laughs> all right. What that. are we talking about next week? I just chopped right in there. All right. Next week. Excuse me. I just burped. I was burping on the microphone for everybody. (laughs) No. Next week, we are going to be talking about ancient aliens. And this was suggested to us by Allie. Oh. Oop. I dropped it. Thank you, Allie. Oh, ancient aliens. Okay. It's been a while. We've done ancient aliens before, but it's been a while. It's been a while since we talked about aliens. It's been a really long time. So, anyways, that's what we're talking about next week. Is there anything you guys want to say before we hit the road? Just judo chop your neighbor and see how it goes. No, Alex, stop saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, who does our music? Um, Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Amazon Music, iTunes, um, Spotify, anywhere you listen to music. So, you guys, until next week, we hope that you can keep keep it straight. straight.